Welcome to Kanza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and initiatives of the Kahn Nation, people of the South Wind, on 1230 WBBZ and 1047 The Bull. Now from the Kahn Nation Studios, this week's edition of Kanza Radio. Sitting down with us today, we have Lynn Robinson. She's a parent educator with Parents as Teachers. Parents as Teachers is a nonprofit organization that does home visitation and community-based services that basically teach positive parenting skills, connect with families, and provide them with different resources that kind of help the families grow strong. Upon enrollment, trained professionals will work with the parent to help ensure families are just more successful and do a better job with the child. Something I noticed, actually, is Parents as Teachers has been around for a long time. It was originally established in 1981. Ironically enough, that's the year that I was born. So perhaps I could have probably benefited from some of these services and resources. I was definitely a handful as a kid. I had lots of energy, enthusiasm, getting me to sit still and be focused for any amount of time. That was next to impossible. I actually ended up doing kindergarten twice. I think it was halfway through my first kindergarten year that the school and my parents kind of mutually agreed, let's let's revisit this next school year. And that was that ended up working out perfect. That was the amount of time I needed. I actually came into that that next attempt um, a little more mature. It went really well. But in terms of the service, what are some of the requirements that parents need to meet? Is there like an age limit or anything like that to work with you? There's really not a whole lot of requirements. As long as there is a child in the house that is under the age of five, we typically go from birth or even sometimes prenatally. I have a couple prenatal moms. Okay. And then we go all the way up to age five or like graduation of kindergarten just because we want them prepared entering into school. Has to help so much. Now, what areas do you serve? Is there a certain like counties that you're available in personally? Yes. So we, we serve several counties. We serve Kay County, Noble County, Pawnee County, and Osage County, the entirety, which is all the way down to Tulsa. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a, that can maybe turn into quite the workload. Now, if If there are areas that you personally don't serve, is there other resources or other regions of parents as teachers that they can look into? Yes, we actually have several. I believe we have about nine different parents as teachers groups. A lot of them congregate in Oklahoma City or Tulsa. So those areas are pretty well covered. And we do have several that are in the rural areas as well. There are a couple blind spots, but if they are in those areas, we we try to make sure that there is coverage. I noticed that there there are some virtual options too. On the on the website, the Parents for Teachers website, I did notice some things that do some level of virtual learning and educating as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Ever since, of course, COVID, Uh a lot of things switched over to virtual, and that has actually helped so much with us being able to reach out into these communities that don't have as many resources Mm -hmm. or may be isolated from the metropolitan areas. Perfect. So, Lynn, kind of take me through this. What are some of the things that are covered during a home visit? Let's pretend that we're kind of in a situation where we're doing your first home visit with a new parent. What does that process look like? 
Oh, so the first visit's actually my favorite part. So I get really, really excited about this. So I like to describe it as a partnership. When I come into the home, I am coming in not as someone who is going to set you down and give you a lesson and teach you, but actually come up beside you and say, what do you need? What can I do to help? There are three parts to every visit. The first part is the parent-child interaction, which is I have to say the funnest part because it's the activity mm-hmm. we get to, depending on what developmental area that you want to work on with your child, um, whether it be motor skills, language skills, cognitive skills, or anything like that, uh, we pick an activity and then I walk you through the steps. Each activity typically has a list of things around the household that you can find to complete this activity. And a lot of them are fun. For example, one of my favorites is the bowling alley one, where we take empty coffee creamers and fill it up with a little bit of rice. Mm-hmm. And we're able to play the, use those as the pins. And mm-hmm. then any ball, really, you can roll and knock over the pins. It's a lot of fun. That does. That sounds fun. It's it's kind of a disarming part of the whole situation because I'm sure the parents come into it not really sure what to expect. Like you mentioned, they might be worried that someone's going to come in and tell them what they're doing wrong and more of an overstanding approach. So these fun little activities where you get to see how the parent interacts with the child is also kind of a relief to the parents, I, I imagine, because oh, they're not really sure what to expect. Oh, yes. And then the second part of the visit, we typically talk about development-centered parenting. What that is, is we connect these developmental skills that the child is learning in the activity, and we talk about how to expand on that. And then finally, the last part is called family well-being, and this is where we go over things that the family may need to thrive, basically. We talk about basic essentials, food stamps, sooner care, any type that they may may need. We also talk about physical health, mental health. Recreation and enrichment is a really big one, especially during summer. I have a lot of fun with that. What is that, recreation and and enrichment? Is that kind of outdoor activities? Yes, that's, that's more of like being involved in the community, finding out programs that are happening throughout the year. A lot of it has to do with library services, getting involved in your local library and things like that. So it sounds to me like when you're meeting with these parents one on one, you're getting in front of them, you're talking to them about their concerns, their worries, the questions they have, it can turn into a very diverse kind of a a spectrum of solutions that you can provide, not only solutions that fall under parents as teachers, but I imagine that you're able to connect them with outside resources and you're finding out things above and beyond where, you know, they might need this, they might need that, and you're able to steer them in different directions. Sounds like that's kind of one of the more valuable parts, kind of the in between the lines, the, the unintentional solutions that you can provide for them. I'm sure that varies by situation. In terms of the community-based side of services, above and beyond the home visits, what resources are available to parents? Are they able to connect with other parents? Are you creating a network in that regard? Uh, We actually do. We have another facet of this program is called Group Connections, and that's where we attempt to connect all of the parents together in like-mindedness. Currently, right now, we have a class called Circle of Security. Um, We're partnered with Grand Lake 
to teach this class. It's every Tuesday evening at Marlins Children's Home from 5 to 6, I believe. And the circle of security actually is very similar to parents as teachers. It goes over the seven emotional needs um, that children may have. These seven emotional needs are watch over me, delight in me, help me, enjoy with me, protect me, comfort me, and organize my feelings. And these cover several of the developmental areas like social emotional, which is super important for emotional regulation once they get to school. If they're interested in these classes, how can they participate? Is there a website? Is there a number they can call to enroll in this? Or is this something that's kind of available to people you're already working with as parents, as teachers? As of right now, you can register for any class. It's it's whoever calls. Um, I believe you can call myself or my supervisor, Jeremy, or Ashley Adams at Grand Lake. This is a type of class that we hope to continuously do throughout the year. So when it comes to tracking progress and achieving milestones, what practices are in place that help to show that parents are basically moving in the right direction? as part of the Parents for Teachers? So we have several screening devices. Most importantly, we use what is called the ASQ. Um, What that is is the ages and stages. You typically see these questionnaires like at medical practices. Pediatricians have them. And it is a questionnaire that breaks it down into the four developmental areas. There is motor skills, cognitive skills, language skills, and social-emotional skills or development that we go through. And there's about six questions in each And it's off of a a scoring session where if they score a little too low, there's like a gray monitoring area. Or if they do score pretty low, there is an area where we can focus our target on that developmental skill. So the ages and stages is something that we use. We can do it every two months to track developmental skills. We also use milestones. And those are like a general time frame, for example, within birth to one and a half months or one and a half to three and a half months or three and a half to five months. This is what you typically see. Again, no baby is the same and everyone develops differently. I've had children who have not walked until they were two, Mm -hmm. which is fine. And then I've had babies that started walking before age of one. Yeah. So it gets a little... I can imagine how fun that'll be as a parent if, you're, if your kid starts walking at like 10 months, you're already wondering where he is. The stress has already <laughs> begun at that point. On the cognitive side that you mentioned, something that kind of came to mind and, and something that you may deal with, and this would be an incredible aspect of your service, is potentially the early detection of learning disabilities. I had a friend in high school. He was a good guy. Everything seemed fine about him. When it came time for the proficiency testing, this is in high school. This is like all the way through high school almost. He was really struggling with the proficiency testing. And upon looking into it a little bit further, it was found out that he did have certain learning disabilities. And he was able to get with a specialized tutor. He was able to take the test in the correct type of environment for him. And he ended up passing it. Everything worked out. But I remember talking to him about it and he kind of mentioned, he said, I knew something was different or not quite right throughout all the years of me going to school. I could kind of tell. And it's 
it's kind of shocking to me that it wasn't discovered until he was the majority of the way through high school. At that point, you know, you're not sure what to do. There may be some elements of being vulnerable or maybe feeling embarrassed where you don't even maybe want to mention the aspect of there being some type of undiscovered learning disability. So I think that the work that you're doing with these parents in such early stages, five years and younger, can really help to detect these things that can be addressed early on and you won't end up in a situation like my friend all the way in high school struggling with a proficiency test before he realized that there was a different way for him to do this. Is that something that you're kind of noticing? Are you, are you guys looking for that type of thing? Is that the type of thing that comes up at times, especially on the cognitive side? Like maybe they're not reaching those milestones. Maybe they're, they're not passing those assessments as well. Oh yes, absolutely. My personal motto is prevention through education. And to me, what that means is if we can help educate the parents on these these signs or symptoms of these cognitive disabilities, then they'll be more aware of their child and where they're at developmentally. Again, that is one of the parenting skills that we work on is observation. That is a big part of it. I do go into every visit and I ask, well, what did we see this week? Or has anything changed? And then the parents get so excited and they're like, he took his first step or she started crawling. And and that is just so amazing. But definitely, 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 this is something that we are super aware of because we try to get these assessments and these diagnoses like caught before they, they enter the school system. Mm. Because that is like one of the, the number one statistics where you see, oh, they entered pre-K or kindergarten, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, they have a delay. And the school's not responsible of catching it beforehand, and that's what we're there for. Um, so we can get them referred over to the right place and get working on it early Mm -hmm. because the earlier you catch something like this the easier it is to maintain an a normal lifestyle Mm -hmm. i think that's incredible that's got to be one of the the most beneficial aspects of this what would you say are some of the bigger challenges that you face when when doing this working with parents working with children I mean, in all reality, parenting is just not easy. There's no guide. There's no, there's nothing there to tell you. I mean, you can get advice from friends and family, but you never know if it's actually true or not. I think one of, one of my funniest stories is I have a, a pair of twins and they are just so amazing. So we've had this issue for a while where they are, struggling with civil rivalry. Yes. So, so that's one of my, my biggest issues is to, to help mediate a situation like that because they're twins. I mean, they are so similar, but so, so different in the way that they handle things. One is extremely outgoing, whereas the other one is introverted and he doesn't like to talk a lot. So what I do is I provide evidence-based information with the mom and we go over mediating techniques that she can use in order to to separate this a really big part is communication is to just sit them down and say hey i know we're fighting right now we both want the same toy at the same time but let's try this instead that way we're not 
escalating the situation where we're throwing punches or pulling hair or things like that. I've got two older brothers that are twin brothers. <laughs> the The rivalry is a very, very real thing. Lots of fighting. I'm sure um, we're half we're half brothers. We share a dad, so I'm sure that the mom who did a lot of the a lot of the raising, especially at the younger ages, was had her hands full. Something else I did notice is that rivalry did have its benefits. They were always competing with each other, and they would develop very fast and early as part of that. I remember them being able to tie their shoes at a super young age. They were able to do all these different things that might take, you know, a a single child longer just because they were trying to outdo each other. Oh, yes. So it did have a couple benefits, but I'm sure at the cost of, of very stressful events. So that kind of refers to my next question. I was going to ask any success stories that come to mind since your time as parents of teachers. The twin story is a very good one. Is there anything else? I'm not sure how long you've been doing this for, but have you had the opportunity to see any of these children grow into later stages, maybe get into further along in school and see how they've done and, and how it's helped in a longer term? Several go through. We're not completed just yet because we haven't completely graduated kindergarten, but we've gone through pre-K mm -hmm. and it is, I think, just so amazing the difference and the speed at which they, they learn once they hit school. I do practice with one of my, my families. We're doing our ABCs and our numbers all the way, I believe, all the way up to 15. We didn't quite get to the, the 25 mark, but we got up to 15 before he started school. In that, that pre-K era, it was just crazy because as soon as he completed pre-K, I mean, he was able to to write. He could write out his name. It was just crazy the amount of learning that goes into just the pre-K alone, mm -hmm. not to mention kindergarten. It almost has this exponential effect where being able to prepare them and to get them going through the motions on any level before they enter that environment, once they're in that environment, they're like, oh, I'm kind of familiar with this. This isn't blindsiding me. I've done a little bit of this already. Maybe now's my time to shine. I'm kind of comfortable oh, yeah. with this. And it just has this exponential effect where they're able to keep learning and they also like it at that point. It wasn't something out of the blue. It wasn't something that blindsided them. It was, it was something that they can expect and, and learn to like and grow into. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming in. For parents that are interested in your services, how would they go about getting started? Is there a phone number for you or an email that they can reach out to? How would you suggest that people get in touch with you to get started on this program? Any which way uh, you have of contacting us, uh, we are currently located at Northern Oklahoma Youth Services in Ponca City. I have my cell phone number, which is 580-485-7262. That's your work cell phone number. That kind of makes you available throughout the day. People can reach out to you basically at any time. Oh, absolutely. Day, night, weekend. I also have... Uh, Northern Oklahoma Youth Services, that is 580-762-8341, and that is our nonprofit that we are associated with. When you call that number, you can either ask for myself, Lynn Robinson, or my supervisor, Jeremy Jones. Well, again, thank you, Lynn, for coming in, telling us about your program. You're doing some incredible work out there. I am very excited to hear about all these families that you're helping. Perhaps we can 
sit down again in the near future and talk about some progress or any additional aspects of the services that you provide. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is Kanza Radio, a service of the Kaw Nation of Oklahoma. Sitting down with us today, we have Ken Belmard. He's the Director of Governmental Affairs with Kaw Nation. Ken is a practicing attorney licensed to practice in all Oklahoma courts, the United States District Courts for Northern, Eastern, and Western Districts of Oklahoma, various tribal courts, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, and U.S. Court of Claims. This is our second time speaking with Ken. Thanks for coming in today. You're welcome. The first time we covered a number of interesting topics, including the Nation process of getting our Brayman land into trust. We talked a little bit about Caw Gaming Inc. We talked about Rock and Bruce Casino. We also talked about our newly developing corporate charter, KNI. We're going to revisit some of those speaking points, but I first wanted to touch on a recent commencement address that you did at Northern Oklahoma College. This sounds like a very remarkable honor. Is this something that you were invited to do? Yes. The president at NOC had called me up and asked if I would give the commencement address this year. How'd it go? Oh, it went fine. Uh, It was very interesting because I took it very serious and did a lot of research, I guess, on what a commencement address should be, rejected a lot of those ideas, gave the first draft of it to my wife, and she uh, said, oh, you can't say that. So, (laughs) So I redrafted it a couple of times and tried to tried to link some themes together that I thought was important. And with the realization that most people don't remember their commencement addresses, so that took some of the pressure off. Uh-huh. I certainly didn't remember any of the four of mine. <laughs> and uh, in fact, at law school, William Proxmeyer, who was a very prominent, he was a senator from Wisconsin, I believe, he gave the commencement address at OU Law in it would have been 1989, and I didn't remember any of it. I didn't even remember that he was the one that gave it. So Take some pressure off. Yeah, so uh, otherwise, as far as I knew, it went, went okay. I didn't get heckled like I've seen some uh, other commencement I have seen, I've seen that too. I've seen some nightmare situations. Well, it sounds like you have a, a good supporting wife there. She might, she might have steered you in the right direction. Yeah, I believe she did. Tonkawan News wrote an article about your commencement speech. They did a very good job of outlining some of your career milestones. I have to say you've got quite the resume. Delegate to 34th National Conference of Law Reviews in 88. You received the American Jurisprudence Awards for Conflict of Laws and the American Indian Law Review in the spring of 89. You negotiated the first three federally approved tribal state of Oklahoma Class Three gaming compacts on behalf of Tonkawa and Miami tribes. You also negotiated a Class Three compact for the Oto Missouri tribe. You were inducted into the Distinguished Alumni Hall of Fame for Northern Oklahoma College. I'd have to say that's, I mean, that's just naming a few. That's not even naming everything that was in the article. What would you say are some of your most proud achievements throughout your career? Well, obviously, uh, graduating from law school, when I was a young man, I was just always taken with history and government, and fortunately for me, between my sophomore and junior years, that was uh, when Watergate was going on. Oh, wow. So I specifically took a job at TGNY. I was a stock boy there, 
and I uh, I wanted the hours in the evening so I could watch the Watergate hearings okay. during the day. And watching those hearings, I decided right then that I wanted to be being an attorney. There was one particular gentleman. He was uh, he was a senator from I believe it was either North Carolina or South Carolina. His name was Sam Irvin. Okay. Sam was a pretty colorful guy. He had actually been, oh, I guess, less than progressive senator at the time who who evolved over over time. And when he would ask a question during the hearing, he would preface it generally by saying, well, I'm just an old country attorney. And then he would ask his question, which would just be, he would be eviscerating the questionee before... (laughs) before he could ever get it out of his mouth. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. So You'd kind of disarm him and then go right at him. Yeah, so I thought, well, gosh darn it, I, I think I'm going to be a lawyer. We talked about rock and brews a little bit. I wanted to retouch on that. It looks like things are moving right along out there. I know you guys are getting very popular out there on the Friday and Saturday dinner specials you're currently running. you got all-you-can-eat crab legs. I believe that's something that was reintroduced. That's Fridays. You also got 16-ounce prime rib that's a dinner special on Saturday. How have things been going out there? Are you guys moving right along? Yeah, we, we feel like that everything's going well. The The crab night has is, is just been a very, very good thing for us. Our general manager is probably one of the only general managers I know that'll actually serve crab. Bruce McClure is his name, and he's he's just been a wonderful GM for us. Mm-hmm. Really takes pride in the place. Obviously, being the history guy I am, you know, the indicators in our, our uh, economy are that we're going to run into some kind of slowing of the economy or the recession. Mm-hmm. We had actually been talking about this internally for several months. You, you just can't print money like we're the Weimar Republic right. and not expect it to come back and bite us. So we had thought ahead and, and reduced a lot of costs. That, that's been very helpful to the bottom line. Being proactive before before the situation presents itself, that's very good to hear. You guys are doing an incredible job out there. Another thing we talked about in the first interview, we spoke about KNI, Carnation Industries. You were basically getting ready with some of the initial meetings with the board members. That was about three months ago. Here we are a little further down the line. I wanted to check back in on this and see, are there any remarkable developments in the works? Has that been making progress? Yeah, I, I feel very good about the progress. You know, they have they have a good board, and the chairman of the board is a tribal member, Sarah Yanez. Okay. And she's really taken the bull by the horns. Right now, KNI is looking into a couple of pretty interesting prospects as far as some, some businesses mm-hmm. that we could potentially host under the corporate charter, of, of course, because we're in negotiations and NDAs have to be done. I, I can't talk about the specifics, but they're related to uh, high-tech type things. High-tech. The chair also made an announcement in her letter on our most recent newsletter that we might be moving forward with broadband. Yes. Uh, one of my, I guess, other titles is I'm, I'm director of special projects. So our broadband project comes within my purview. So what we have planned, we received some significant grant money to 
come up with a broadband proposal to provide tribal members and our service areas better internet capacity. So particularly uh, just had a big meeting yesterday. We have acquired a partner, Can Okla. They're, they provide internet in this area. They're very familiar. So they're our working partner in actually trying to put this whole thing together. Oh, wow. But the plan is to bring in fiber into Cost City, mm-hmm. into our facilities in Newkirk, okay. and our facilities across the uh, river or lake now. That's how old I am. <laughs> um, so what we hope to do is this broadband thing was pretty interesting because there were components of it that you could use towers as as well as buried cable, but we're going with cable. In our region, we have a lot of trees, and you know it just wasn't practical. So we had to retool that a little bit. But uh, I think that's smart. Yeah, we have a we have occasionally intermittent internet service now, and I imagine that some of that is tower dependent currently. You know, I really don't have a real understanding of what we have now, <laughs> but I I do know that if. Not if because it's gonna we're gonna put it together. We're gonna have we're gonna have a lot better system. That's very good to hear. Very bright future. We're very fortunate to have you with the tribe, Ken. I know you wear a lot of hats around here. I know you're a very busy man, and that's why I'm very thankful that you you take a brief moment to sit down with me and and update all of our tribal citizens and everybody listening. I look forward to sitting down again in the near future and getting some more updates. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. You've been listening to Kanza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and services of the Kaw Nation. For more information, visit our website at kawnation.com or Kaw Nation on Facebook. Listen again next week at this same time for another edition of Kanza Radio.